2 Kings 22, 13, Josiah says this, go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her. And Huldah said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And the footnote is that they brought back word to the king. From this point on in this series, let me just go ahead and and tell you, it's for big boys and big girls. It is going to be intense. It is not going to be the feel-good series of the year. But I think it's one that we're ripe for about this time. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And America has been blessed more so than any nation currently on on the planet And we are not responding properly to the blessing of God nationally. Now, thank God that we have pockets and remnants of Christians all throughout the land. But nationally, what we're going to do in the remaining messages in this series is I'm not going to pull any punches. I want to make sure that we're not living in some delusional world where we think that that God is pleased with us as a nation. Now, listen, I pray for revival. I pray for national repentance. I pray for the presidents that have been in office during my lifetime. I pray for our governmental leaders. I pray for our churches. So I am expecting breakthrough and repentance and revival. I am convinced in my spirit that revival is going to come. My question, if I have one, is this. It's going to come, but will the church steward it well enough to where that revival, wherever it starts, it spreads from there, and then we can boldly declare that America has turned back to God. Most of us in the room don't think that's possible. 
Most of us don't think that America will ever turn back to God. But I'm kind of building a wall of hope, and I'm leaving that negative thought on the other side of that wall, and I'm saying, God, just let's, let's get to phase one. Let the revival hit the church, Lord. Give us an opportunity to steward revival, and Lord, if we'll steward it well, it'll spread, and this nation can change. But until that happens, I'm going to do my God-given best when I'm teaching and preaching the word not to morph what it says. Why am I giving you this disclaimer? Because, man, this is harsh stuff that I'm going to share tonight. This is not easy to preach, and it's not going to be easy to hear, but it can be healthy. And right now, I think what we need is a health checkup on the church in the United States of America, and it's going to begin. It's going to look a little bit like what we're going to see in these next messages. So tonight, let's talk about the dangers of biblical ignorance. That's not a flashy title. The dangers of biblical, uh, thank you, ignorance. It's not going to sweep you up into, ooh, I can't wait, because it's just kind of, a, it's kind of a mundane title. It sounds like something I would have preached back in my uber fundamental Baptist days. But listen, it's true. Biblical ignorance, ignorance of the word of God is part of the blight that has hit our nation in the last 100 years. And it, when, when, a, when a nation loses their bearings and loses their understanding of the word of God, and when, when the church, by and large, is, is kind of abandoned God's word, we end up doing what they did in the book of Judges, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And so we kind of, we kind of return the favor. The Bible says God made man in his own image, and when we lose our Bible, we return the favor. We make God in our image. And so what we've got to do is we've got to do what Israel was about to do here. They found the word of God again, and the response is what I want to look at tonight. And so go back up into verse number 13. And let me give you this point to start off. With awareness comes responsibility. With awareness comes responsibility. Verse number 13, remember, it's Josiah. He's 26 years old, and he's just heard the word of God for the first time in his life, and he's repenting, and he says, go inquire of the Lord. Go for me and the people and for the, all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found and listen to what Josiah says. He's the, he's the primary spiritual leader at this point. He says, great is the wrath of God that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written and concerning us. Well, we, we're probably on good ground to recognize that Josiah had just heard probably Deuteronomy chapter number 28 beginning around verse number 15 and going through the end of the chapter. He had heard that because whatever he read was very clear in saying because of Israel's disobedience and turning from God, there was judgment that was going to follow. So no longer was the king ignorant. No longer would the nation be ignorant because Josiah was the one who would turn this nation back to God. But in this moment, he's repenting on behalf of Israel. I, I, I love this. When he heard the word, the written word was read to him. Faith came by hearing. And his first thing was, um, somebody find a prophet and go inquire of the Lord. And this is what he's saying. We need to know how much trouble we are in. That's exactly the vibe behind what he's saying. He is shaking. He has split his robes open. He is grieved. The Bible says later that he was, he was weeping before God, and he's saying, we can't dodge this anymore. I know we're in trouble. I just don't know how much trouble we are in. Remember with me, it's been 57 years 
Well, it was 57 years before Josiah came to the throne, and then at age 8 to 26, so 15 plus 18 years. That's how long it had been in Israel since anybody had heard the covenant and read the law. And so that nation had drifted so far away. And this is the principle I want to give you in this, that when, when, when you have the dismissal of God's word in one generation, it often facilitates the arrival of God's judgment in the next generation. And so right now when I'm, when, when I'm preaching, and I do it with passion on subjects like this, I'm not just saying we need this. I'm saying if we don't steward a fidelity and allegiance to, to God's word, and a dependence upon the Holy Spirit, it's not just that we're not going to live the life that we have, it's going to be that much harder for our kids and our grandkids to live it. And so when we lose our allegiance to the Word of God, it it can facilitate the arrival of God's judgment that will find the next generation. And and in essence, they reap what we sowed. And that's what had happened in Israel. There were young people in there who had, who had never known an Israel that was faithful to God. And they're growing up in this generation that was, was so influenced by the pagan gods that had, been, had crept into Israel. And so Josiah now knew he was accountable. He heard and he said, we can't dodge this. We need to get into the presence of the Lord. We need a word from God we absolutely must find out the degree of trouble that we're in with the Almighty. So go down, go down into verse number 14. This is where it gets a, a little harsh. Now, I may ask you if you're with me here in a few minutes because I don't want you to tune out on this. I know, <clears throat> pardon me, that this is heavy. When we look at this unavoidable truth to be accepted, it's an unavoidable truth. It was then and it is now. And so look at what Josiah does. You just see pictured here, it was a collective commitment to the truth. Look at all these names. So you got Hilkiah, the high priest. You got Ahikam. You got Akbor. You got Shaphan. You got Asaiah. And they're all going together collectively on this mission. And they go to Huldah, the prophetess. She's they're described as Shalom's wife and so on and so on. It tells us about a little bit about his family. That's not pertinent to what I want to say tonight. It's, it's, it's just very interesting to me. You, you may not know this, but do you know that there were two other prophets that were ministering at this exact same time in Israel? You had Jeremiah and you had Zephaniah, two guys with books in the word of God. And I don't know the reason why. I'm just saying it's noteworthy that when this moment of repentance and this moment of needing to hear what the word of the Lord was, that rhema word for that moment, they went to Huldah. They went to a prophetess. This was not a side gig for Huldah. You can see by the way she expresses the word of the Lord that she is coming with authority. She is coming with clarity, and she has the right word, and she delivers a hard word for the people to receive. I did wonder, I wonder, I I had this little skeptical thing kind of rise up in me. I was thinking, I wonder if they went to the woman because they thought she would give a little more gentle of a word. Well, if they did, they blew it. They picked the wrong woman because Hulda had some backbone in her, and she's going to give the word just as God gave it. Um, I want to say this. This, that in bypassing Jeremiah and Zephaniah, we don't need to assume that there was anything wrong with that. But I'm just, when, when I see something that's unique in Scripture, 
And especially when you're, when you're looking at uh, a woman being the spokesperson, we did that whole series on Deborah and how God raised her up, and then JL and how God raised her up in that story of Deborah. I just want to make sure that we're staying in the loop on this. There aren't multitudes of examples in the Old or the New Testament of women being the primary spokesperson for God, but I'm going to tell you something, there's enough of them. There's enough examples in Scripture to where we need to be very careful in the church in America before we start saying that women can't do this, that women can't preach, that women can't speak on behalf of the Lord. Friends, I do believe that there are zones that God appoints male headship in, but I just want to make sure we stay on the page. And if you're new around here, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. I'm expecting that in the revival that's coming, you will see flaming, anointed, prophetic, powerful women of God that are going to emerge. I think that some will come from this youth group that was in here tonight. I think that some of you have that appointment on your life. I've told some of you that. I see this kind of stuff in my wife. I see it in some of the women in this church. And what I'm saying is when the revival hits, it's not going to be the men doing all the work and the women bringing casseroles. Amen. I say all of that because I'm fighting against the spirit of religion that wants to continually suppress the daughters of God. And what we've got to do is we've got to recognize that when God places a calling on somebody, it is the gifts that come with it and the calling are without repentance. And so we've got to be stewarding this just like Holda did. So go down into verse number 15 and 16. Let's look at what, what the sister said. So here she is with these five big shot guys in her living room and they're saying Josiah sent us and we need a word from the Lord and so here comes this painful prophetic word she says to them and look how she opens up thus says the Lord when you see that in the Old Testament and in, unless it's a false prophet when you see it in the Old Testament that means this is actually what God was saying so she didn't play games with, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. She's got a double thus going on. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Not every prophetic word is encouraging. We, we believe that the New Testament gift of prophecy is for the edification, the building up, the encouragement of the body of Christ. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes a corrective word is something that you need in order to be built up. Sometimes, how many of you know this? Sometimes God has to bust us down before he builds us up. And this is a busting down right here. This is God saying, in effect, to apostate Israel, you have crossed a line as a nation. You have gone to a place where I am not going to be able to withhold my judgment on you nationally. And Huldah is the prophetess that has to deliver that word. Let me just, let me pastor us for a moment right here. Um, I expect an uptick in prophetic activity. Prophetic activity flows from a, a, a rooted prayer life and a holy life. 
Um, and I do believe, for the most part, a person who is walking in the prophetic, and that's a gift that they are exercising, if it's always negative, if it's always judgment, if it's always warning, if it's always corrective, they may not have a prophetic gift. They may have a gift of criticism. That may, and that's not really a gift. But friends, and, and having said that, that's just a little bit of a disclaimer. We need to understand sometimes God will raise up a voice that says, you are wrong. And, and one of the things that's happened in the last, if I can give you a, just a little snapshot, in the last 50 years in the American church, everything is kind of covered with syrup. It's all expected to be sweet. Even to the extent that, that it's very in vogue now to just kind of ignore portions of scripture like we're dealing with tonight and and let's not let's not talk about the heavy stuff let's not talk about the judgment it's just love 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 God will never judge and listen friends I, I don't want to be ugly here but that's heresy that's damnable doctrines right there God is a holy God and he does not wink at sin and when a people who are called and in, in, in supposedly in covenant with him like Israel when they persist in rebellion Every son whom God loves, he will chastise. And so it's true with the nation of Israel. They were the only covenant nation walking the planet at that time. And, and Huldah had to say everything that Josiah heard from the scroll that had been buried and hidden for over 57 years, everything Huldah says, thus says the Lord, it's going to come to pass. Um, that would have been a really hard word to give. And it would have been a really hard word to receive. Um, just because a word, a prophetic word, is unhappy, it doesn't make it untrue. And so I just want us to be in a posture of understanding that, yes, the Lord wants to build up and edify and encourage. And the prophetic word typically is going to do that in some way. But if the prophetic word is going to a rebel, it's not going to be encouraging. If the prophetic word is going to a wayward son or daughter, it's not going to be a pat on the head. It's going to be a swat on the backside. And, and it's not going to feel good all the time. But listen, I, I, I remember one time uh, not too long ago, a few years ago, matter of fact, it was right after uh, Meadow and Cornerstone merged to form Newbridge. And there was what we, what we discerned later was just a straight-up satanic attack on my body. And I was in bed for five days, something like that, with piercing headaches to where I, I never had that before in my life. And Chad Norris, who is, uh, had mentored me for years, was walking in his garage at that time, and God said, you need to pray for Jeff Lyle. He's being attacked by the devil. Chad didn't know what was going on. Chad drops to his knees in his garage, prays in tongues for me for about 30 minutes, and then prays in English for a little bit more. And um, I think he contacted Amy, and he said, the Lord just told me to hit my knees. What's going on with your husband? Well, let me tell you something. I ended up in the hospital, and I was hurting so bad, I was like, you better give me something. I have been praying for three days. It hasn't happened. I'm just at a point like, somebody else is going to have to have faith. I need some morphine or something. Just help me. And, and so what happened is they stuck a needle in my arm. And let me tell you something about that needle. That hurt. But what was inside the syringe is what I needed because that was going to ease the pain. What am I, why am I saying that? Sometimes the prophetic word that is going to bring comfort and relief to you, you have to experience the piercing 
of the prophetic word that initially hurts, but the medicine comes behind it. Sometimes that's the way God works. And so if we're all the time looking for the syrup and we don't and we're running away from the needle, we can't get what we need sometimes from the Lord. So Huldah had the privilege of being the needle. I believe some of you will have to do that occasionally in your life. Be wise. Anytime I have to deliver a harsh word, which is very rarely one-on-one, I have had to do it, um, I always pray a little bit longer over that word. Um, because I don't ever want to speak something that might crush a person unless I absolutely know it's the Lord. But in the crushing, there is the godly sorrow that works repentance. It's always restorative. It's always seeking to have them come to that place of brokenness and repentance, which I'll share in a moment, so that they can be restored. So go down into verse number 17 with me. Um, by the way, it is, it is interesting that God was bringing this judgment to a people that were basically ignorant of what his word said because it had been buried. And I find out in this principle that ignorance um, didn't remove accountability. It's just a reminder, friends, listen, nobody's going to be able to get away with standing at the judgment scene saying, well, I didn't know. Well, I, I, I didn't know, especially in the Bible belt, friends. Listen, if you want to know the will of the Lord, open your Bible. <laughs> you know, listen, I love, I love the prophetic. I love it. But friends, I don't, I don't have, you know, a constant prophetic word. And a lot of times God will withhold the prophetic word and he'll say, in, in essence, by withholding the prophetic word, he's like, read my written word. Say, I want to hear from the Lord. Open your Bible. You'll hear from him no matter where you read. Because every word in there is God-breathed. And so when we want to hear from the Lord, read the word. But these people didn't have the word, and yet God did not say, well, I'm sorry, y'all didn't have it. I'm going to give you a free pass. They still were going to have to go through the national chastisement that he was about to bring through the, the military of Babylon. So go down to verse 17, and you're going to see this principle right here, this generational accountability. Here's what Huldah had to say. Why was God bringing the judgment? Well, one, he had said he would, and he can't lie. So he will always be true to his word. It's verse 17. Here's the specifics of what was going on in Israel. One, because they had forsaken me, God says. And in doing that, they had made offerings, burnt incense, made offerings to other gods that they might provoke their God to anger with all of the works of their hands. And God says, therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. I just, I appreciate her. I appreciate what she's doing. That, that's a hard word to give. But the Lord, in just in the detail that she's rehearsing, it lets us know that God had his eye on Israel for all of those ensuing decades where they were chasing other gods. He didn't miss a thing. He's patient. He gave them time to repent, but they didn't repent. And so God says, now they've crossed this line. And he said, the key issue, it all started when they turned their back on him. They once went from being the apple of his eye, and he would guide them by his eye, as the psalmist said, and something happened, and they just started looking at other things. And they had their back against God, and in a, just in a season, when a person or a people group turns their back on God, there is so much in that that will be facing you when you turn your back on God this way. The enemy has a whole buffet of things left uh, just lined up for you to get enamored with. And so once we, once we leave our first love, once we're no longer pursuing him, we are susceptible to this very thing that got them. And what happened is they started serving other gods. Now, chances are, you, you know, 
we, we live here in the South, and there's not a lot of false altars with golden or wooden or silver or bejeweled false little gods. But we have stuff like Cadillacs and Coach and Armani and, and malls and, 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 you know, massive gated communities. And people can lust after those just like ancient Israel lust, lusted after their little artifacts and their little pagan gods. And God watched that. He said, and that's a father's heart, by the way. He's saying, you forsook me. I'm a good, good father. And you forsook me. And then you went and served these other gods that are violent and vile and reprobate and, and demonic. I mean, in essence, every false god is just a demon posing as a god. And, and God said, and the works of your hands, and it doesn't go into detail here, but it does in other places of the Bible, the part of the works of their hands was murdering their children. In, in a worship of a false god, let, let's just think for a moment. Since this is already depressing, let's just go full throttle depression with it. So in ancient Israel, because they had turned their backs on God and started worshiping other gods, and these other gods, by the way, were imported primarily into Israel through Solomon's wives generations before. And now they had taken the land. Solomon, the wisest man, when he got his eyes off of God, look what happened. And all these gods came in through his multiple wives, and they now just kind of peppered the land. And so these people had learned to worship these false gods. And listen, this actually happened. Scores of time, innumerable amounts of time, these Israelites would come to worship the false god, and so demonized was their thinking and their hearts and their minds that they would take their kids and they would approach the false altar of Molech or Chemosh. And a lot of these, these bronze gods were, were basically uh, on the outside, they were, they were formed in the image of whatever the false god was, and, and they had a hollowed out place, and in that hollowed out place was a furnace. And so it would be heated up, and in their worship of their false gods, this is, this is horrific, they would toss the children onto the lap of Chemosh or Molech, and the child would writhe and eventually slide down that little opening into a furnace. That's how far they had gone from God. And God said, I've seen the works of your hands. Now, I'm going to preach in about three weeks. I hope you'll be here. A message on the issue of abortion and infanticide in the United States and globally. It will be unpleasant. It will not be political because it's not a political issue. It is a moral, biblical issue that politics has hijacked. And so when we look at these things from God's perspective, brothers and sisters, it is sobering what's going on in the United States of America because we're no different than Israel. I mean this reverently. If we don't repent as a nation and God doesn't judge us, he'll have a whole lot of other historical nations he'll have to apologize to because he judged all of them for the exact same stuff that we're doing as a nation. Don't you see that this revival is not so the Christians will just have better Sunday services, but we're talking about the, the avoidance of judgment that can fall on this land unless this nation experiences true Holy Ghost renewal and revival and repentance. So let's go down a little bit further. This generational accountability was part of the prophetic word that Huldah gave. And she said, it's going to happen just like the word said. 
very, very quickly here. The prophetic word will always align with what is written in the written word, always. Somebody gives you a prophetic word that is in counterdistinction to the written word, it's not from God. You don't have to pray over it. If somebody says, well, I, I think you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and you know in your heart, well, the Bible says actually don't do that, then you don't have to honor that prophet. That's a false prophet. So the prophetic word will always align with the written word, which is, again, yet another reason why we need to know our Bible so we'll know if it aligns with it or not. And so this prophetic word she, she was giving was saying this, that the wrath of God is going to come. Um, Josiah died about 14 years after this chapter that we're in, somewhere around there, 13, 14 years, and the judgment fell about 20 years after he died. So it did come to pass. It didn't happen in an instant. didn't happen the next day but it did happen. And so we get down into verses 18 through 20. Here's, here's some hope, okay? I'm going to send you home, you know, not wanting to off yourself. You, it's, just, it's an opportunity to just exhale and just say, okay, I may not be able personally to change the nation, but I can change me. I can determine in my heart that I'm not going to be a part of the problem. And that's, that's what Josiah was able to do. And look at the word that was spoken over his life. Israel, you're going to be judged as a nation. But look down because there's powerful grace for humbled hearts. Powerful grace for humbled hearts. There was then and there is tonight. There is right now today. Powerful grace for those that will humble their hearts. So look in verse number 18 and 19. And we see that Josiah's previous response was noted in heaven. Remember, he had torn his robes, he had wept, he had repented, he was agonized, and God was watching that. How do we know that? Verse 18, Huldah says, to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, same authority, this is God speaking through her, regarding the words that you have heard because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse because you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. This is so encouraging to me. I've already established that it's my personal belief that we live in a wicked generation in a wicked culture. You may disagree with me. That's, I'm, I don't even really feel like debating that with anybody. I'm speaking from a biblical worldview, and biblically speaking, this nation is atrociously wicked. That is my opinion. You're entitled to your own. But in the midst of living in a wicked nation, I'm glad I don't have to wake up tomorrow and just feel like God's against me. I don't have to wake up tomorrow fearing the wrath I don't have to wake up tomorrow or the next day or live my life in some kind of doomsday mentality where all is lost, all is hopeless. It's just, just waiting for wrath to come and then we go to heaven. That's, that's not what the Christian does in this generation. Jeremiah was, was an individual. As far as we, we can tell by, the, by this, the, the testimony of Scripture regarding his life, he may have been the only one. He was leading reformation in the land as a 26-year-old, but the Bible doesn't say anything else about anyone else saying, go, Josiah. He just seemed to be a one-man um, um, crusader for the glory of his God. And God saw that. And God said, 
Josiah. Did I say Jeremiah a moment ago? Josiah. He said, Josiah, I saw your agony. I saw you having my heart over your people's sin. I saw you tear your royal garments. Jeremiah, I saw you crying over it. And Jeremiah, uh, not Jeremiah, Josiah. Josiah, I've heard you. I've been listening to you. Josiah, an individual, pretty much on his own, with a heart for God, trying his best to do what he was doing, but, and he didn't even have a Bible at that point. He had just heard the word, and God says, Josiah, I got you. I got you, son. I saw your heart, I saw your actions, and I heard your voice. It's incredibly encouraging to us. A lot of the people in the room are intercessors. That's your, that's your calling. It's part of what you do in the kingdom. And sometimes we don't see anything happening as a result of our intercession. Some of you have prayed for people in your family and your lives for decades and you just don't see. And I can tell you, when you stretch out unanswered prayer over years and decades, sometimes you go through a season and you're like, man, maybe he just doesn't want me to pray about this anymore. Maybe I'm just praying out of the will of God. I don't know. Josiah just kept from age 8 to age 26, he just kept living his life the best he could for God. And then when it comes to this critical moment where the worst news that Israel had heard in decades had landed, God says, but not you, Josiah. You're my boy. I've seen you, I've watched you, and I've listened to you. What that does is, what, so, so what, Jeff? What's the big deal? What it does is just motivates me and you to keep doing what's right, to not quit, to not give in, to not despair. It doesn't matter what Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and Facebook says. Some of y'all be a lot happier if you just got off Facebook and, and just all that. I mean, I don't know any other history, a time in American history where we'll just scroll through something and depression, 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 depression. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Immorality, immorality. I mean, just shut it off if you need to. But in the midst of all that reality of, of, of negative stuff going on, friends, I just hear the voice of the Lord saying, Jeff, just continue to do what you're doing. Continue to pray what you're praying. Continue to go after me. Continue to have hope. Continue to have expectation. Because while I may judge, and he will, may judge the United States and the globe, uh, my children, my daughter, my son, I hear you. I got you. And though we don't always see a difference being made, um, you have really two choices. Either quit in despair or continue in hope. That's a bottom line kind of thinking. I'm an ABC, meat and potatoes, shoe leather, bottom line guy. You're either going to quit in despair or you just continue on being who you are as a child of God in hope that, that God will knit your prayers and your intercession and your expectation with a bunch of others that haven't bowed the knee to the gods of this nation. And, and, and listen, sometimes he just looks on a remnant and he says, I'm just going to bless them. And he spares cities and he spares territories. It's all throughout the Bible. You got Abraham interceding at times. He's like, Lord, if there's 100 righteous people, if there's 50 righteous people, 20 or 10. And so you've just got this, man, in, in people's hearts all throughout the, the biblical history that they just keep pressing in. And for Josiah, 
the Lord says, I'm going to honor your brokenness. I'm going to honor your humility. Isaiah 66, 2, you remember this verse. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's awesome. God is literally saying, I'm just a Bible believer. God is literally saying, I'm going to look, and the implication is, I'm going to look with favor on the one who will remain humble before me, who will remain broken over what's going on around them, and, and that person has a deep reverence for what I say in the word trembles at the word. God says, I'm going to look on them. And the implication is I'm going to look on you with favor. I'm going to look on you with grace as you humble your heart. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And so there's this aspect to the heart of the father that when we are grieved with what grieves him, when we are broken over those things that break his heart, when we are aligned with him and we just honor him, and that's the expression, they tremble at my word, when we revere him and we honor him and we, we, we believe what he says, the, the heart of God says, as you have honored me, I'm going to honor you. And listen, I can't tell you, there are such, you look at you look at Israel in, in, in Egypt when all of the curses found Egypt. Israel is over there in Goshen, and, and, and they're just protected from it. God was sending plagues all over the land, but it's like he just put a hand over Israel and said, frogs and gnats and lice and disease, y'all can't go here. And I'm just bold enough to think, listen, I just believe he loves me enough that as I live my life to honor him to the best of my God-given ability, as I stay faithful to him, as I seek him, as I will not give myself to this wretched world that wants to lure us and consume us, as we do that, I just believe he's actually so good of a father and he loves us so much that he's not going to let that kind of commitment go unrewarded. So don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to, listen to all the bitter Christians who give you their testimonies of, yeah, I used to serve the Lord, but what good did that do me? I'll tell you when this happened. Good night alive. Surround yourself with people who are just going after it. And they're, you know, they're actually happy about it. <laughs> pray for me. I'm serving the Lord. I was just, I don't know. Y'all just pray for me. All right. <laughs> all right I'm getting a little carnal there sorry about that but all right one point left and you can breathe you can exhale but let me give you this and then we'll, we'll go ahead and dismiss God's pledge was released on earth listen to this pledge to Josiah this is so cool he's speaking to Josiah still in verse 20 through hold of the prophetess she got to end on a high note therefore Josiah behold I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And then the little statement, and they brought that news back to the king. So Josiah lived about another 14 years after he received this word from Huldah. He lived about another 14 years. He dies in battle but he enters into eternal peace. By the way, he's still there. 
He's still experiencing the peace that Huldah prophesied he would have. And the beauty is this, is, is Josiah got a specific word from the Lord that nobody else in the nation got. God said, yeah, I'm going to honor what I said I would do if my people turn their backs on me. I'm going I'm to discipline them severely. I'm going to chastise them. I'm going to bring the rod of correction on them. But Josiah, you're actually of a different spirit. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to bring the judgment, but I'm going to bring you home with me before I pour all that out. And so I'm going to build a quick one-minute bridge to the next message in the series. The temptation could be Josiah gets the word, and he looks at it, and he says, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. Hallelujah, I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to go on with all this reformation. I'm not going to try to restore the temple because God's going to destroy it anyway. He's going to bring judgment. I'm just going to do my own thing. He's going to take me to heaven one day. That would be the temptation. You get a good word and make it all about you and jo Josiah forget. That's not what he does. From this word, we're going to see that he launches out into a more intense commitment to turn Israel back to God. That what he received was so overwhelmingly good, he says to himself, well, if judgment's going to come, they didn't tell us when it was going to come. God didn't say when. And so I'm going to do my best to represent Yahweh to my nation, and I'm going to give them every opportunity to step in to repentance and to honor him with however many years they have left. And that's exactly what he did. So he took the rest of his life, which he had already gotten to get out of jail free, I mean, God just gave them that through Huldah. And he said, thank you, Lord, in essence. Thank you, Lord. And to continue to honor you, I'm going to exert my influence to bring as many people back to you as I possibly can. That is a powerful testimony of somebody that received grace and didn't receive it as a bowl to hold it, but received it as a pipe to funnel it onto other people. That's who you and I can be. So let's stand to our feet tonight. I don't know how to apply this message, so I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit will just kind of preach his own application to you. There's a lot of stuff I could say, but I told you I'd be done in a minute, and I'm going to honor that. Lord, we're sobered, but we're not shattered. God, help us to up our faithfulness, to pursue consecration at a higher level not out of some rabid fear, but because you're worthy of our joyful obedience and our holy living. Holy Spirit, come with your cleaning power to us. And Father, I just pray on behalf of our country, at least, O oh Lord, give your church, your bride, your children an opportunity to steward a revival again. Please give us the opportunity, Father, to steward revival so that this land has the possibility of repenting. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.